Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Vitreo. This is episode 46 and it was recorded on Thursday, February the 4th, 2020. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and the CEO at Vitreo Group. We're a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our second episode of 2021. We will be publishing this episode to the interwebs on Thursday, February 11th, one day before Chinese New Year, so we can still say Happy New Year. For this episode, we were joined by Shannon Dorham, CEO of YMCA Calgary, Arlene Adamson, CEO of Silvera Seniors, and Darcy Acton, Principal at Milestone Consulting. Our topic, Trends in Human Services Philanthropy. Human Services is by far the most diverse nonprofit sector. It encompasses everything from recreation to food banks and everything in between. The pandemic has affected every area of our society, and most particularly human services. Giving to food banks is at an all-time high. At the same time, our recreation centers are closed and seniors are suffering more than ever. Human services has always been important. During the pandemic, even more so. But there are gaps in support, in public policy, and in the education of our citizens. What can we do as nonprofit leaders to better support this sector? Join me and three amazing leaders as we discuss where we are at and what we need to do to be better in human services philanthropy. It's time for Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome to episode 46 of Brain Trust Philanthropy Powered by Vitreo. This is our second episode of 2021. Our topic, Trends in Human Services Philanthropy. We have three great guests with us today. I'm excited to be here. They're excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Calgary, we have Arlene Adamson. Arlene is the CEO of Silvera, Silvera Seniors. I'll get that right yet. Silvera is a nonprofit organization offering older Canadian, older Calgarian subsidized, supportive and independent senior housing. This is like a seashells, seashells by the seashore kind of thing um, and services. This is Arlene's first time on a podcast, and we're so glad that it was this one. Welcome to the podcast, Arlene. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Arlene and I first met when she represented Silvera Seniors as part of a multi-agency collaborative fundraising campaign for homelessness called the Resolve Campaign. Arlene, before we hear about your thoughts on what is happening in housing and with seniors and everything else in this big wide uh, world that we have going on, I know that you were with YWC at Calgary for nine years, now called the YW. In that role, you helped create an amazing fundraising event called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. This event is still going on, but was unfortunately, like many events, cancelled in 2020. Can you share with our listeners a bit about how you came up with the idea for this event and how it was received? And I know it's, it was 20 years ago, but uh, uh, move the cobwebs out of the way and tell us a little bit about what. how did this event come alive? Because it was very successful. Well, um, at the time, Silvera, uh, Silvera here I got to, now I got to change my mind to YWCA, uh, the YW was really having challenging times financially and uh, certainly was in a position where, um, you know, domestic violence and it still today was sort of the unspoken evil, if you will, and tragedy in our in our society. And uh, it was seen as a women's issue. And it's really 
not. It's both a men's and a women's issue. And so the opportunity, you know, sitting around thinking about how do we engage men in a way that is fun, that doesn't have you talking about domestic violence and in a room and all the men put their head down, don't look at me, I, I have nothing to do with it, or don't look at me, I do do it. Uh, not getting that reaction, but rather, rather an engaging reaction. And so I had the brainstorm of men walking a mile in their shoes. And it's then it struck us, well, what do women mostly walk in? Uh, high heels. So let's get them doing that. <laughs> so, you know, the biggest challenge in that was trying to find uh, shoes for men's feet and uh, and then finding a forum. Because once we invited a couple of people to start doing the walk, uh, the success of the, the event was that it is self-pledging. You know, go out and get pledges. It, so it was a low-costing cost event for the organization and a high participation and a high high media attention. So I'm not surprised that it's still rolling. And at the time um, that Calgary launched it, we also went across Canada to all of the other YWCAs, encouraging them to do it in their own community, to give public attention to um, addressing domestic violence. So lots of fun. Thank you for doing that. I just thought it was such a great event and I saw that uh, that it was in your, your bio. So it really struck me as something to talk about. So thanks, thanks Arlene. Next, we have Shannon Durham. Shannon is the CEO of YMCA Calgary. Shannon has been on podcasts before, but like Arlene, this is her first time on Brain Trust Philanthropy. So we're so happy to have you here, Shannon. Welcome. Nice to be here, Vincent. Thanks so much. Thanks. I first met Shannon when she was a vice president. She was vice president. I had to look this up on the interwebs. Uh, when she was vice president health and wellness for YMCA Calgary, uh, we were helping them with their fundraising campaign to build and operate three new facilities, two of which are the biggest and the second biggest YMCA's in the world. Shannon, YMCA covers so much ground in the human services area, and we're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. Um, but I know that in addition to your busy job as a CEO, you're also a coach and an athlete. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Sure, Vincent. Thanks. And it seems fitting you're asking this question because yesterday was National Girls and Women in Sport Day. And uh, I am one of the, the the many who have uh, incredible parents who put me in every sport under the sun. And I can remember as uh, being as young as four years old and having a little baseball glove and playing catch with my dad in the backyard. And that led me into pretty much every sport I could get my hands on. I played soccer. Uh, I played slow pitch. I played softball, ringette, basketball. Um, and those became really essential parts of who I am and why I think I became so interested in the field of health and wellness and sport. Uh, played ringette for many, many years, and some of those folks are still the most important in my life today, and um, have tried to sort of help others learn the value of things like, you know, hopping on a bike and going for a bike ride, or, you know, throwing on a pair of skis, and in Calgary today, it's uh, it's about minus 20 uh, with snow, so, you know, that's the world we live in, and um, it's certainly a big part of who I am, and I think, you know, is really helpful uh, in my leadership role as well, in terms of working with all the wonderful people I get to work with. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, what are you coaching or are you coaching right now? Not coaching currently. No, but ring out was a very big part of my life and uh, something that, uh, you know, hopefully when the dust settles here and sports are allowed to get back up and going, um, one of my very good friends is immersed in the community and I'd really like to get back into that that's hopefully great. next year. Well, um, I just know that every time I came into a meeting at, at the Y uh, for the campaign and you were around, I always went, oh, I want to be as fit as her. <laughs> so that's Work great. in progress, Vincent, every day. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. Thanks so much. Um, rounding out our panel today, we have uh, my friend Darcy Acton. Darcy lives and works just west of Slave Lake. 
Uh, Darcy is a fundraiser and a principal of Milestone Consulting. Darcy is also in her fourth term as a counselor for the Municipal District of Lesser Slave River. Uh, this is Darcy's second visit with us. She first joined us back in season one on episode four. Darcy, welcome back. Thank you, Vincent. And I'm honored to be among such esteemed company today. Ditto. Um, now, I'm going to do a disclaimer, too, because uh, you're the only one on the call who's also elected right now. Um, and so I'm mindful that uh, that you're representing uh, your personal approach to the world. Uh, and as a principal of Milestone Consulting, um, you obviously have experiences as an elected official, and you'll share those with us. But that's not your role today, and you're not uh, representing that. So I'll make a couple of disclaimers to anyone out there who thinks that she's in her counselor role. So, um Darcy and I have been friends for our whole fundraising lives. I don't want to say how long that is, but it has been quite a while. As I mentioned, Darcy is a counselor in the Slave Lake area. Darcy was a relatively new counselor when a fire decimated the town of Slave Lake in 2011. Last time she was with us, we asked her to share her experiences around that event. But then flash forward today, nine or 10 years later in the Slave Lake region, like everywhere else, is suffering from the effects of the pandemic. Darcy, the tension between health orders and restarting the economy is strong, and there's lots of really interesting things on both sides of that. What's it like to be an elected official in the middle of that tension right now? Well, uh, it's a very interesting question that you asked, Vincent. And so first of all, I'll start by saying um, municipal politics is where the rubber hits the road, uh, right? So it's where you're most closely connected to the people, the people in your community and the decisions that you make have an effect immediately on the people that, that are part of your community. So, uh, and it's, it's interesting to me when I look back at, um, going through the Slave Lake wildfires, which at the time were unprecedented and it was a big deal, um, a very big deal, uh, in terms of community disaster management, but also a big deal in terms of philanthropic uh, outpouring that came after that fire and um, kind of managing the generosity of our fellow Canadians towards our community. Um, so, so that was interesting. And then I took a break from politics for a little while because it does take a toll. It takes its toll and I needed to take a step back and, uh, focus on some other areas of my career. And then just in early 2020, I had this uh, opportunity to, to um, step back in uh, and it got, got uh, reelected uh, in a by-election just in time for the pandemic. So I started this part of my now fourth term in January of 2020 and we were just getting up to some level of, you know, speed. And then all of a sudden, everything shut down. So it's true. There are some parallels between the, this kind of wildfire situation that I, that we have all lived through before. And now a more slowly unfolding, but just as impactful. Uh, sorry, that kind of trivializes the whole thing, doesn't it? It's not just as impactful. It's a worldwide thing, um, but the local effects and the effects on our human services agencies are profound right now. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm 
uh, I'm excited to talk about that. Thank you, Darcy, for sharing that. And I appreciate um, that that you are being mindful of, of all the work that you need to do and how you need to put that out there. So thank you for what you're doing and thanks for stepping up again. Uh, in January, though, nobody knew. And then in March, everyone did. So very interesting times. Um, okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us again uh, on this, our 46th podcast. Today's topic, Trends in Human Services Philanthropy. This is our third in a series of four sector-based trends in philanthropy episodes we started in 2020 with episodes focused on education and health, and we will be completing the series in April with an episode focused on arts and culture. Uh, human services is by far the most diverse nonprofit sector. It encompasses everything from recreation to sport, from housing to social services, from youth services to bank, food banks, and everything in between. Um, the pandemic has affected every area of our society, and especially the nonprofit sector, and most particularly, the human services sector. The need for food banks is at an all-time high. Food Banks Canada typically raises $15 million a year. During COVID, they raised $150 million. Seniors housing has been an issue for decades or longer, and it took COVID for all of us to see just how badly seniors are and were being treated across the country. Uh, not at Silvera Seniors, but everywhere else, <laughs> not everywhere else. I shouldn't say that. Our gyms are closed. Our community centers are shuttered. The importance of human services has never been greater. Yes, fundraising is way up at food banks, but is it up everywhere? And where are the gaps? And what do we as citizens and nonprofit leaders and fundraisers need to be doing to better support the sector? Arlene, let's start with you. What are you seeing and what do we need to be doing better? Well, it's a big question. You know, I think we need to like anything, uh, increase awareness uh, about the value of this sector to a civil society. Uh, the, the everyone, everyone will need something out of this sector at some point in their lives, and um, and it needs to be a priority, both in our government funding, but also um, I would I would challenge that. All Canadians, anybody on this planet, needs to think about how am I part of a solution that supports this their sectors healthy to be healthy, and uh, certainly what I've witnessed from our lens at Silvera here, we we provide housing for lower and modest income seniors, um, is is maybe an opportunity to change the narrative. Uh, because seniors are not a part of people's giving. Um, you know, I tear a dollar in, in small pieces and ask people who give, uh, you know, how much of your annual giving have you ever given to seniors? And usually there's not much there, if there's anything. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, and to Darcy's comment, uh, unfortunately, it's times often that it's a crisis that wakes people up that, uh, that engages them. The challenge is that crisis is God willing, the pandemic does not last forever. And so what do you do after the fact? And I think it's important that um, people change as a result of the, of a crisis. And the pandemic has given us an opportunity to shed a spotlight on so many sectors and people's livelihoods, um, the needs, the gaps that we can now respond to. Um, it's true, Alberta does not have enough affordable housing and seniors housing is paltry. 
um, and well outdated. We're still living in 60 year old buildings that are clearly not meeting the needs. And Alberta's done reasonably well considering, um, but it's not, it's simply not good enough. So uh, what can we do more of? Well, I would turn to the leaders. Uh, Alberta and Calgary has a long history of of being philanthropic. I think that's what makes this province pretty beautiful to be in. However, uh, that changes and evolves uh, over time. And I think, you know, as we move to being more volunteer based and wanting to be engaged, um, that's terrific. But at the end of the day, cash is also king and um, organizations need to be able to operate and um, you certainly see that as a result of COVID. So there'll be some failure of some charitable organizations through this time, and there'll be some that win, i.e. the food banks. Um, and then there's others that will have just a window of time to kind of heighten attention before the appetite wanes again. And, you know, unfortunately, Silvera uh, and, and I think seniors organizations and some others are in that space where we might get a lot of attention right now, but likely it's not going to last. I'm curious, and I hope we revisit that through the call on what would it take to to to, to extend that tail. Um, but before we go there, Shannon, I saw you taking notes, and for those that are listening, of course, I we're on video. You won't be, but I could see Shannon taking notes, and I know she's thought a lot about this. Shannon, what are your thoughts, um, uh, either tagging into what Arlene had to say or some of the things that are you want to put on the table? Mm-hmm. Well, what I was writing down is the word self-determination or words self-determination. I think Arlene articulated that really well. As a charity, we have to be responsible for not only what we're managing today, but also for the future of our organizations. And philanthropy is a critical part of that. In addition to it, we have to build models that are sustainable. And I think what we've learned through the pandemic um, is that there's a lot of intention and, and planning that has to go into that, uh, but we have to be relevant to the communities that we serve and certainly to the donors who support us. And there have been a lot of learnings from the YMCA perspective, certainly around just the importance of social connection. And, and certainly, Arlene, I'm sure you've seen that uh, within your walls, um, how important that is. And I think what we've learned at the Y is that we underestimated it until we didn't have it anymore. And as the world recovers, this notion of, of trust and connection to community, um, social cohesion, and, and some of the things that really underpin the social determinants of health are part of the responsibility I think we at the Y feel, um, and I know many charities feel, to try and help rebuild. And so I think, you know, Arlene mentioned a couple of things around being really clear on our purpose, uh, being able to articulate that, and being able to deliver on that. And uh, one of the opportunities I certainly see is to get much sharper in terms of the work that we're doing, as well as evaluating and, and being able to communicate the impact. What difference does this make? So what? At the end of the day, how is this really changing people's lives? And so the pandemic has highlighted I think a really important opportunity, um, certainly in the window we're in now, as Arlene said, but so that we don't forget that moving forward and as the world sort of returns to whatever normal we'll have next. If I could build on that, Jen. Go ahead, please do, Arlene. um, I I think the other thing that the sectors are learning and it's been there, but it's, you know, everybody is so busy doing the heads down. Um, And certainly it was evidenced again in the Resolve campaign, uh, the Resolve capital campaign, how critical it is as the sector to reach across the sector and find collaboration, fierce collaboration and partnerships 
to add value to the donor investment, but also to society and better outcomes as organizations. And so, you know, we're a big believer in collaboration matters um, and how do you do it in a way that creates mutual benefit. Um, but it's that third benefit of donor seeing an investment of not being tapped too many times, but rather seeing the leveraging of, of their gifts. And so, but you know, that's everything. That's government's investment needs to see collaboration. The sector is doing a better job, but now is now is the time as some may not survive um, and may not, uh, may not be diversified to Shannon's uh, comment that they will either have to fold up and hand you know, some of their operations over to other organizations and or really look hard at not just the outcomes, as, as Shannon has said so well, but um, how might we do this differently with different partners? Well, you just gave us, um, well, I, you, I, I'm sure it's not a new phrase, the word fierce and collaboration together. But I, I sense that it's going to be, uh, it's certainly a candidate to replace the vanilla title I have already. You know, Trends in Human Services Flame, Fierce Collaboration. Um, Darcy, you are a master of great questions when you listen to conversations <laughs> amongst leaders. Did some spring to mind while they were, while Shannon or Arlene was chatting? Yes. Okay. Definitely. I, uh, I do have questions. I just want to pick up on something that Arlene said about the fact that, you know, some of these, some of our agencies won't survive. And um, uh, that that is worrisome on uh, multiple levels. But I just want to, I was preparing for this podcast and I uh, talked to some people, uh, including the executive director of our Native Friendship Centre locally here. So I'll get to that in a second. But the other person I made sure I spoke to yesterday was my mother. Because uh, like you, Shannon, you mentioned this too, and probably all of us who are you know, able to participate this way. I grew up in a family uh, where I was just tremendously privileged to grow up in a family where my parents... Um, not only made sure that we had opportunities to participate uh, at the local community level in sports and education and uh, all kinds of activities, but they were the people who were volunteering to build those facilities in, in our community. So I grew up in Kensington Community League, right? So my parents literally put blood, sweat, and tears into making sure that that facility was available for everybody in our community. And that's a tradition that, um, you know, if that was one of the agencies that doesn't survive, it's not coming back. It's not going to come back. Um, uh, the, the time frame that we all grew up in was unique. I believe that it was unique. So, you know, when we think that, you know, some agencies will not survive the, this current situation. That, that scares me a little bit because I know that uh, they're not they're not going to come back. Right. So and I live just for context. I live now in a very small community where there there are only one each, if that, of these agencies. So if we, for example, 
were to lose our friendship center for, for whatever reason. So, for example, uh, because of the burnout factor that's happening with the pandemic right now, that worries me. Uh, it's, it's, it's not necessarily going to come back. So we have to fight to preserve what our parents put in place for us uh, and for the broader community. So, um, so, and I don't want to be a downer about all this, but I think, you know, we've all heard about boom, bust and echo. I think we're in the bust and potentially taking a look at the echo right now for human services. And uh, it, it's it's fascinating to me to think about what 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 do we need to do to support the the people on the front lines because the traditional clients of our agencies like the YMCA uh, the Silvera Seniors the Friendship Center in my community were you know that is the front lines of human service in our community. Those people who are providing the services are really feeling burnt out right now. And uh, it's almost like we need to have support services for the support services. So that's the echo part I wanted to get to. Has that been your experience in these larger, more sophisticated urban charities? 100%. 100%. Uh, you know, our culture in Canada uh, and North America isn't, and it's, you know, evolving, but the North American culture, particularly for the aging population, is to access housing where there are, where there's staff and the healthcare systems, where there are staff rather than, you know, the historic and or our Aboriginal communities where you, you age in the community uh, with family we don't build cities like that that allow for it when you're when every house is a walk-up house an infill house there's no way for people to age in the housing that we are building in our world today um, on our landmass. Uh, families are spread all over the world and uh, that it presumes also you have good families so the reliance we have as a society on service staff to be there to help people age uh, or help children or help marginalized um, is critical. And it's not, it's not a valued from a funded perspective. It's not a valued sector. Uh, and yet it we're most reliant on it for our most trusted requirements. We will pay, you know, our Tim Hortons uh, staff, more often, and I'm not suggesting they're paid high, but we'll pay them higher than we will somebody who is coming in and changing your linen and helping you off the toilet and, you know, wiping your tears away, helping feed you. And we need to turn that upside down. We need to really put some value in the service industry. I mean, we have minimum wage people who are in the most trusted at the front of this pandemic. And they're showing up every day because they care, because they too also need to earn a living. But it's not a, we're also creating a crop of people in our world that are going to need our services. And so it's a, it's a perpetuating vicious cycle. And so I think we need to do something different uh, to better acknowledge, obviously, um, 
And hopefully that changes, you know, as COVID has shone a light on so many of the needs in our society and, um, and, and we as organizations need to continue to diversify. How do we be more self-funding and less reliant on government, particularly in a world in philanthropy where, you know, GoFundMe is really taking root um, and it's hard to carve out, you know, the story that is sustainable and or renewable uh, relationships when it's so instant in the GoFundMe. Yeah, I, I, I'm. Both of you scared me a little. <laughs> Darcy first with uh, that the the loss of agencies uh, is worrisome, and of course it is. But then I start to think about the agencies that we can't afford to lose, and I can't think of any that we can't afford to lose. So that's really interesting and a little scary. And then you talked about this perpetuating cycle, Arlene. That's the wrong type of perpetuating cycle this growing of a crop of people who need our services. Uh, the question though was up about the people who are at the front lines. And I want to, Shannon, I know you've been thinking about this and I want to just invite you in to, to offer up your perspective on Darcy's question. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And um, we provide services as a YMCA in a variety of different uh, parts of the social service spectrum. And one of those is actually the opposite end of Arlene, which is childcare. And for Every, every one of the same reasons, this sector is critically important, not only to the development of our, our youngest members of society. Uh, we know that investing in early childhood development is one of the most important things that we can do for the overall success of our society. And very much in the same way, these are essential workers in my mind. And they're some of the unsung heroes, I think, right now that are on the front lines every day doing their part to take care of our most um, treasured parts of society. And... Um, it's an area that I think not, not everybody understands, and I don't think we fully are articulating its value. And in addition to that, there's all kinds of other benefits, uh, like economics, getting women and families back to work. Uh, you can't do that, you know, and, and you speak to people that are trying to um, work from home and take care of kids and homeschool and, and just have a normal life. I'm, I'm sure, Darcy, you're hearing a lot about that from your constituents. That's a really tough thing to manage. And so... Uh, the opposite end of that is, you know, some of these businesses are very expensive to run. So there is some work to be done around, I think, how we value them uh, in society and how we as operators and providers uh, really think about who we're hiring, how we compensate them, how we support them. Certainly mental health is a topic we've been talking about more than ever now because our staff are tired. And rightfully so, they've been on the front lines of this for almost a year now. And so I suspect there's going to be this continual need long after the pandemic is gone to be supporting our staff in these types of roles. Um, I'm glad you talked about, and it's been talked about a couple of times. Thank you for that, Shannon, um, about um, maybe we didn't say it quite so bluntly, but educating our society about the, this importance, this factor, I think it will be part of widening that window, Arlene. Um, cause it, it, I mean, it has, there's been a light shone on it a little bit, but I think any parent that went through this pandemic and had to educate their elementary school student uh, kids at home, um, saw the value in frontline workers, anybody that has had to step up and really be ashamed of how we've treated our seniors during this period. I think that, that lots of us can feel that and see it. I know I can with my, with my mother. Um, it, it are seeing that the, the importance of the people that actually take care of them day to day, right? I've been, I've, I've really had that highlighted, but I, I worry that it's ephemeral. I worry that it's going to, it's not going to stick. 
Um, and then once the pandemic's over, it's back to, you know, um, the, uh, childcare and seniors care and everything in between is something that I don't have to worry about every day or think about. So I'm curious about that. Darcy, your question landed a bomb, um, which is great. <laughs> uh, and I love that. So um, Arlene, you were sort of nodding along. Is there something that you wanted to add in or tag into on that? I've got other thoughts too, just so I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Well, you know, I, I guess I would just underscore that uh, the importance of uh, educating what the needs are. I think the importance of speaking to donors about the impact, speaking in, in the greater society about what it takes to operate. Um, you know, the not-for-profits not not making bombs of money. Um, what? <laughs> and so it's hard to attract people. Um it's hard to retain people. Um, it's very challenging then to also say and go do the hardest work that there is. Um, you know, I would challenge yeah. people to be on the front line of this and wearing PPE, you know, eight hours a day and dealing with very difficult situations and then having to go home and hold their own household together or live for an entire year separate from your family. Uh, it is, it is, extremely difficult and the onus is on us to tell the story and I think we've got a real opportune time now because the emphasis can't be so much on the crisis and I think Darcy started this you know with the Slave Lake you know where were where was everybody in the rebuild and for how long did they stay where was everybody in the rebuild of the flood where is everybody going to be in the rebuild commitment for post-pandemic you know we're all looking for the panacea of the vaccination but that is that is just a part of the solution it's not the solution no and we're seeing society fracture in that space and so you know uh, human nature is we have a finite interest uh, frame and uh, so we need to really capitalize on and just keep building on it uh you know i think it's one foot at a time is there are there national initiatives um Arlene, I mean, people, the, 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 the population appears to be very sensitized to um, what we've not been doing right in seniors care. At least that's if you, you can find lots of media space around that. Um, how can we give that traction in a, in, in a, in a non-crisis way? How do we widen that window? Is there a national approach to this is there some advocacy that's occurring what, what what's your thoughts or what's I think you're involved in a national agency that's associated with housing um, yeah from a provincial level uh, ASHA is Alberta seniors and community housing association that represents you know the spectrum of housing whether it's nursing homes or level three four and designated support living I mean part of it's all just labeling labeling the sector with different names it makes it more challenging. Uh, so I think that's part of helping people understand, you know, having them understand the spectrum of what the YMCAs do in the community that it's, you know, shed, that it's not just fitness, there's these are community, community hubs. Um, and Shannon would speak to that better. But I think from a from a national level, we, ha we have an opportune time we've never had before, we have a national housing strategy, or commitment, an awareness. We have a provincial housing, affordable housing strategy. We have municipal requirements for housing. Alberta is 
fallen way behind in the the access to and having enough affordable housing. And it's not good enough, you know, to suggest that we turn all corporate offices into housing. That's not easy, nor is it necessarily appropriate. Um, So I think that there is an opportunity. But I think as we bring people into the story and we have the people who are living, working, it help tell the story of that experience. You know, it's saddening that we're so critical of anything and everyone about what's going on through COVID. Right. Uh, these are unprecedented times. People are doing their best. Um, and I, it, it's sad that, you know, there'd be lawsuits and uh, real judgment made about the efforts that are being made in every not-for-profit to do as much as they possibly can to serve. And, and to some that are in that judgment seat, it's not good enough. And I, you know, that's, that's sad um, because I don't think judging is a solution. I think we need to lean in with a solution. So, you know, rather than pointing fingers or posting or tweeting judgment, where do you turn the mirror back and go, how am I actually contributing to the solution? Am I being part of that? Am I helping to advocate? Am I, am I leaning in to learn and, and hear? Or am I listening to those sound bites and I'm making up that's the entire both side of the balanced story? So I would just challenge us all that we need to learn. Well, uh, I, I'm going to turn it over to Shannon to speak a little bit about also how do we widen that window in the in, in the in the whole area that that the why and others are working on, um, because I think you know, obviously, um, yeah, I mean, we worked on this issue when we were working with the why of getting people off of the gym and swim mentality, because there's so much more to a why than gym and swim. And I think there was some success in that. But how do we keep that window going? Um, but just before you know, I leave this, um, uh, Arlene, I do think, uh, you know, to channel Bonnie Henry, we do need to be a little kinder to people. And as you said, let's lean in. Everybody is really trying hard. Uh, you know, even even the political parties that we didn't vote for are trying hard to like the, the one if we didn't particularly vote for them, they're trying hard. I think everybody's really trying hard. And I think that 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 we need to recognize. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Shannon. What's going on on your side? How do we keep the window? How do we actually, what's going to come out of this? What is, what is, what is the, the programmatic and community essence of the YMCA is going to look like coming out of pandemic or what can it look like? It's a great question, Vincent. And I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of a national initiative that is trying to solve that exact question. And as Arlene said, it's complicated, uh, but we have to start somewhere. And, and I think one of the things that's maybe lesser known about the why is that we cross over a number of different sectors. So we do everything from childcare, as I've mentioned, and you've, we've talked a lot about sport and recreation, but we're also involved in youth development. Uh, many wise have actually engaged in housing. Some are leaders in employment training. And so as you look at all the different dimensions of the YMCA, there's certainly a lot of opportunity for us to be engaged. But I think we have to be true to where our core competency is and where we're, we're strongest in the community and, and be able to go deeper as opposed to wider. And so the conversations that we're having are very much about, you know, what do we think the future needs of our communities are going to look like and how do we position ourselves to deliver the best level of service and impact that we can. So when we think about, you know, as an example, we haven't talked about youth. I think often youth get kind of glossed over when we talk about the the spectrums of society. We talk about seniors, we talk about young people, the the little ones, and then there's this group in the middle that often are are suffering sort of in silence. So we've got, you know, folks that are supposed to be graduating high school and heading off to university and they're losing those years of their lives. They're facing more challenging employment situations and less opportunities to gain that experience. 
they're stressed. There's a lot of anxiety. And so there's lots of places where I think YMCs across the country and certainly in Calgary are looking at, you know, what, what is the needs profile of the community? How is it changing? And really, where should we be digging in? And um, Arlene mentioned something really important in the beginning, which was this idea of fierce collaboration and partnership. And the wise traditionally across the country and certainly here, I, I think I've done a good job of that, of identifying where there are opportunities or spaces that we may not have all the expertise that we need, but if we add in another layer, whether it be, uh, Darcy, you talked about your friendship centers, you know, we have a strong commitment to truth and reconciliation in Indigenous populations. And so there's a piece of that that gets woven in. And so I think there is a responsibility on the part of those of us leading organizations that really matter in the community and that need to stand strong and be here as we come out of this to really be in tune with where people are going to be as they start to transition. It's not like we're going to flip a switch and life is back to normal. And so successful charities, I think, are going to be very acutely aware of all of those things and make those plans now for the short and long term. Well, thanks for that. I um, I was thinking while you're talking, you know, the Y in YW and YM stands for young. <laughs> and sometimes we forget about youth. And so that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Darcy, again, you're you're thinking through all the good questions because you're way better at it than me. Um, what do you what do you want to want to poke the bear with with Arlene and the, and the, and the Shannon? Well, I want to I just want to touch for a, a second on, um, you know, a, a lot of where the, a lot of the reason why we are in the position that we were pre-pandemic at least is because of citizen-led action for the greater good right so so i like to i'd like to ask about um kind of citizenship and how can we encourage that kind of citizen-led action right now and or is it even appropriate i i am I think there are a lot of people who are waiting inside of their homes, if they have homes, uh, to just for the pandemic to be over and then have this idea that life is going to go back to the way it used to be. And I don't believe that's true. So um, there's a role for citizenship and it has to happen at the youth level. And I'd love to hear Arlene and Shannon say a little bit more about um, how to foster citizenship. All right. Maybe, maybe I'll jump on that one. Yeah, um, cer up. Certainly is a big part of, of what we do. Um, and, and I think maybe where I'll start is with the notion of volunteerism. And certainly in the YMCA world, volunteerism is absolutely essential to what we do, but it's also one of our strategic priorities in terms of um, engagement, community building, and that sense of agency that comes with it, especially when you engage young people and help them develop skills by doing that. And so pre-pandemic, we would have had just a little over 1,400 volunteers. And when we opened the first time after the first closure and um, that ended in July, we had almost a thousand of those folks wanting to come back in some capacity. And I think, Darcy, to your point, there was this sense of I want to do something. I feel like I need to contribute. And you know, we, we offer those experiences in a variety of ways. But I think if I was to go a little bit more specifically into the space around youth, uh, we've just started what's called the Youth uh, Leadership Institute. And one of the pieces of that, certainly there's an educational component, 
but there's a hands-on learning component around what it means to volunteer, to be part of community, to get hands-on practical experience so that you value an experience like being part of the community. I, I suspect, you know, in the story you shared about your family, Darcy, you learned a lot about what it means to contribute to the community through your parents. And you probably were engaged early on in your life to sort of build that platform. That's part of what we're trying to do through a variety of different ways and, and through building out the Youth Leadership Institute. But I certainly think that there's a message here also around what community leadership means. And we're trying to do our bit to amplify that voice and, and what it means. Thanks for that, Shannon. Um, Arlene, did you want to offer up anything around community leadership or citizenship? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the not-for-profit, of course, is the backbone uh, is volunteerism. And uh, I think we all have had to look at it very different um, through the the experience that we've been living. And particularly for Silvera, uh, albeit we don't have a ton of volunteers, I would offer that um, corporates like to get involved um, and support. And that's a great opportunity to educate people by having them come in and be with us in community and support the seniors and add to the program value adds that uh, help help our residents live their best life. So it, volunteers are critical in this sector and volunteers also include family members uh, yes. where, where seniors do have family. But the the challenge in COVID and the way we've managed COVID just as a society is by de declaring outbreaks um, and people not really understanding what an outbreak really is. It might be one person. It may be a staff person who no longer is even in the community. So there's nobody positive in the community. So there's this we've we've the dial has really gone way over in the declarations of outbreaks and people's anxiety living in that. And so directly we've been impacted because people are going, I, I don't want to come because right. people die in yeah. seniors housing, which in fact I would offer seniors housing is probably one of the safest places you're going to be because we're following all of the protocols. If you're going to Safeway or the drugstore, uh, or any place, they're not wiping the handles all the time. They're not wiping down constantly. So um, seniors housing is a very, very safe place to be um, and, and was before and will be after COVID. But so we need to talk to people very differently about uh, being involved and uh, how safe our protocols are. Secondly, though, uh, we need to meet them where they're at. And so meeting them where they're at, uh, to Darcy's comment, is people are hunkering down. And so we are pivoting to how do you virtually volunteer? So many of our residents, if, as you've heard it in the news, and, I'm, and this is a societal issue, are struggling with mental health, struggling with the isolation, uh, depression, um, have been cut off from the world. You know, many, most seniors buildings, your seniors aren't going out like you and I and at least doing our errands. Uh, and so it's very challenging space to be. And, and many charities are facing similar types of challenges. Um, and so being able to pivot, overused word, but very appropriate, pivot to volunteering on a virtual basis, because there's a terrific opportunity for people to connect in a meaningful way. Uh, but that does require, back to philanthropy, operations having the dollars to be able to invest in the IT, get the iPads, have the systems there, have opportunity to train residents on how to use it um, so that they can Skype. And so 
you know, that that untethered donation allows us to reach in and be responsive to what seniors are living with right now. The ability for us to have carts of activities that could go while you're isolating in your room. So how do we keep you, you know, engaged and active? Uh, so how do we do that when there's a fear of coming into the building? So first we need to fix the fear. Secondly, then it is how do we virtually volunteer and meet you where you are in the community until you feel more confident or more safe and that this is that we are allowed to allow you in uh, through the restrictions. And then how do we help uh, donors understand that how do you help us through this in the recovery place in a meaningful way that isn't uh, so designated? Trust us that we've gotten us through this COVID. We've been around for 60 years. We know what we're doing. Outbreaks aren't unusual. Uh, um, this is in that this is a you know a, a novel virus. However, they will always be there. And so, how do we how do we make sure that that we find ways for you to participate? I mean, we had a couple of groups as an example. Just send 500 pizzas. Wow, it was stunning for our residents to to get a special order. Um, you know, it's the iPad showing up. It's, you know, the signs on the on the um, doors. Um, it's it's thinking outside the box. How do we find ways to engage you? Because to Darcy's point, volunteers and Shannon's are the backbone and and the unsung volunteers of family um, are also very critical and play a critical role in helping the not-for-profit sector um, operate. And the last thing I would say is it's philanthropy has not changed in the trend that is relationships matter. To Shannon's point, relationships matter. Um, and if and if you think you're going to find a major donor just because they've got a big pocketbook and you're going to you know get a meeting with them and get a big donation, good luck. Um, hopefully. But there are less of those than there are of you and I that can give five bucks every month and make a massive difference. And so uh, relationships matter. Telling your story still matters um, and communicating. And, you know, I think uh, being very transparent in the what you as an organization are going through so that you can have donors really understand that and lean in where they're where they're. Um, coming from. That's awesome. I was wondering where you were going to go with that. And then you went deep and I was going, <laughs> Oh my, um, the volunteer is aspect is amazing. I find it interesting that, um, uh, that that's idea of virtual volunteering. And I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole. We're getting close to where I need to draw this to a close. Um, but I, we're doing our next, um, podcast is on millennials, mental health and loneliness which you can just replace the first word with seniors, mental health and loneliness. Um, in fact, when I put it on Facebook, I had a lot of my friends who are in the senior category saying, yeah, but that's not, and I yeah, agreed, but I was looking at the vital signs that came out last, uh, you know, in the last few months. And I was struck by the fact that yes, yeah, seniors are still lonely and, and that we've known that for a long time, but youth are too. And I'm wondering, that's a great virtual opportunity connection. Right. Uh, a human connection is one of the biggest, uh, you know, sort of solvers of loneliness. So I know that you're thinking about that. I know that there are tricks and tips around that. You'd mentioned the virtual volunteering. And I think philanthropy could step in very strongly and do something with that. I think that's a really neat program between the Y and Silvera. 
Right. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't want to say that all seniors are vulnerable. That's 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 not a fair statement. Uh, there are all matter of people vulnerable that's in right. society, and seniors have still so much value to offer. Yeah. And wouldn't it? Wouldn't people if people thought of seniors differently? Um, that there are conversations there that could be had that really, and wisdom yeah. that could be shared with our young people no. that help them through these very difficult times. Because listen, they've been through it. They've been through the roaring yeah. you know, dirty thirties. They've been through Fort McMurray fires. They've been through life experiences. And, you know, we need to do more again in that fierce collaboration. Yeah. And, I, and young people are always telling me that they want mentors uh, yep. there's, there's some connections here, I think, that are really interesting. Um, I'm mindful of time. We always do this. We, we, we get right into a conversation. I feel like we could go in and follow so many threads. Uh, great conversation. Great chat. Thank you, everyone, for, for taking part today. Um, you've been great guests. Uh, Shannon Dorham, CEO of YMCA Calgary, Darcy Acton, Principal at Milestone Consulting, Arlene Adamson, CEO of Silverado Seniors. And of course, you all have so many other hats that you wear, but thank you for, for that. I can't wait to have each of you and all of you back on our podcast. But before we go, uh, I do like to give each of you an opportunity to share with our, with our, with our listening public, with our, with our 8,000 plus subscribers. Um, uh, something that you want them to hear, to remember, to think about. Uh, you can underscore what you've talked about. You can talk about your favorite ice cream flavor. You can do whatever you like. Um, I'm going to start with you, Darcy. What do you want our listening public to take away from today? You still there? Well, uh, thank you, Vincent. Uh, I, I, uh, the biggest thing that I really ref reflect on right now is, especially with what we're in the middle of here with this pandemic, is the need for us to remember the pioneering spirit that builds communities because it's going to be what we need to carry forward here. That, that uh, selflessness, the effort it's going to take to build and rebuild infrastructure and connections and organizations so that we will continue to thrive um, and not, not be victims. And uh, I think that this is the bust and we get to be part of the echo. That's great. Nice way to tie together your callback there. That was great, Darcy. Thanks. Thanks for that comment and for that reminder. Um, Arlene, what would you like our public and listeners to hear? Uh, you can be a part of the solution. Um, I think that we need to continue to have conversations that are progressive and solution oriented. Um, everyone matters in this society on the spectrum. And so I would be remiss if I didn't say seniors matter and, uh, and play an important role still in our society. And uh, COVID has shone a light on it at Silvera. Uh, and all seniors housing, they are safe places. Uh, so we need to really rethink about the reaction to the fear um, because isolating seniors in single dwellings is not the way to go. Making sure that they are connected in congregative environments where there are friends and relationships and activities and uh, they're seen, I think is critical. Um, and I would just offer that, you know, we all need to give. 
we all need to give. We need to participate in a civil society. Uh, we need to be the today's and tomorrow's pioneers to Darcy's comment. And part of that is contributing in whatever way we can and, um, and think about what that financial contribution is because every dollar matters and we are in a rebuild place. So lay down the sword of judgment and, you know, pick up a shovel and start digging in to, to bring solutions to the recovery of Alberta and our, our country. I love the upbeat thrust of this podcast. Even, you know, we talked about some pretty down issues, but these upbeat thrusts are great. Thank you for that, Arlene. Um, and you are right. Seniors' places are the safest place. My mother is tested for COVID every week. Yep. Um, you know, and so it's like, it's, if you're wondering about if anybody has COVID, well, they don't. <laughs> so that's yep. really interesting. Yep. Move in, live your best life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shannon, you get the, uh, the, the privileged spot of last word uh, on today's panel. Well, almost the last word. What do you? It feels like want? an important responsibility. I I was gonna go with you know one of my favorite quotes is the only thing stronger than fear is hope, um, buffered by another quote from a, a colleague of mine that hope is not a strategy. However, one of the things I think we've seen is that there is still so much good out there. Uh, and I had a friend ask me how I was doing the other day because as leaders we we carry this responsibility and sense of you know, wanting to do well by people. And I said, I'm great because I have seen the best in what people are willing to give. Arlene, to your point around frontline service and commitment. And, and that gives me hope about where we're headed and how we'll recover. And I think as leaders, our job now is to work with our teams, with our communities, with our donors and our supporters to chart a path to whatever that next place is uh, to rebuilding, as Darcy said. Uh, and I look around this virtual table and I see that in spades and it's exciting to be in a place where we can think about that and actually make some concrete change. So as much as I, I don't want to diminish the fact we all have big challenges in front of us, uh, there still is a lot of opportunity and uh, I feel really grateful to be part of that. Thank you for reminding us to be grateful, Shannon. I uh, I feel that way every day, even though the the, the mantle of leadership can sometimes be challenging and heavy. I appreciate the leaders that all of you are. And so thank you. And with that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Betrayo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next time when we focus on millennials, mental health, and loneliness. We'll be joined by Siobhan Doherty and Katya Asomaning. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Nicole Nardi, Katja Asomanning, and me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Vitreo Group. That's at sign V-I-T-R-E-O Group. You can listen and subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or by visiting our website betrayogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, and hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.